This day in sports history. It's February 18th, and as drivers, crews, and fans gear up to watch this year's Daytona 500 today, we look back at 1979 and what may have been the most important race in NASCAR's history. NASCAR's roots are in the South. It was a sport that grew out of moonshiners modifying their cars by increasing the horsepower of their motors and the stability of their suspensions to outrace police and government agents eager to shut down their illegal liquor business. Racing along narrow dirt roads in the foothills of North Carolina eventually led to some of those guys trying to find a way to legitimately run their souped-up cars on a racetrack. Then, there was racing on THE Daytona Beach. Starting in 1936, Bill France and several of his car-loving friends started racing their cars on the hard-packed sand of Daytona. That led to France starting NASCAR in 1947 and then building a racetrack in Daytona, which opened in 1959. Now, here we are, 20 years later, NASCAR had grown considerably but was still mostly a southern sport. Of the 31 races on the 1979 schedule, 23 were at Southern State racetracks, with only two of the other eight held west of the Mississippi. On this day, CBS Sports set up their cameras to televise a stock car race to the nation live from start to finish for the first time. That was big enough in its own right, but something else that provided a big boost to viewership was the weather in the east. A huge snowstorm that started burying cities on Saturday and continued into this day snarled interstate travel east of the Mississippi. Businesses, restaurants, and movie theaters were closed. A lot of games scheduled for this day were postponed, and that left many with nothing to do but watch television. And with cable television in its infancy, most only had four channels to choose from. And so, the television audience was much larger than if people in the East had the opportunity to go outside. The innovation of putting cameras in the race cars so that people could see the action from the driver's perspective also started with this race, along with low-level camera angles to bring the racing action a little bit closer to the viewer. And then there was the ending. If you are a NASCAR fan, then without a doubt, you know what happened. But even if you aren't, you still may be familiar with the Donnie Allison, Cale Yarborough fracas on the final lap, Donnie Allison was out front. Cale Yarborough was hot on his tail. As they came down the backstretch, Cale made a move to the inside in an attempt to pass, but Allison went to block the move, forcing Cale to the infield grass. Cale swung back up the track, and the two cars made contact not once, but three times before the cars melded together and crashed into the outside wall. Then they slowly drifted down to the infield ending the chance for either driver to win. Now, the third, fourth, and fifth place cars were nearly 30 seconds behind, but now they were all racing for the win. Richard Petty held off a hard-charging Darrell Waltrip and A.J. Foyt for the checkered flag, but it was what the cameras caught as Petty's car was heading to victory lane that had people talking by the water cooler the next week at work. Yarborough and Allison had climbed out of their mangled cars and confronted each other in the infield grass. Several punches were thrown, and the two wrestled before being separated by safety crew members. 
Using the optics of 2024, a situation like that now would result in driver suspensions, fines, forced public apologies, editorials, and social media posts decrying the state of sports and humanity. But in 1979, there may not have been better publicity. In fact, when Bill France was asked if he was going to penalize the drivers for their actions, he said, fine them, I should give them a bonus. And he was right. That night on every news and sports broadcast across the country, the brief fight between Donnie Allison and Cale Yarborough was shown again on television. It was great publicity for the sport, and NASCAR had millions of new fans. Also on this day, in 2001, we go from triumph to tragedy, as this was also the day that Dale Earnhardt lost his life after crashing into the wall on the final lap of the Daytona 500. Earnhardt was running third at that point, with his son Dale Jr. in front of him in second, and Michael Waltrip leading. Contact with the number 36 car of Kenny Schrader caused him to crash head-on with the outside wall. His death was announced to a stunned country by NASCAR's president Mike Helton a few hours later. And while that tragedy was devastating, there are several key safety innovations that were implemented quickly because of it including head and neck restraining systems, or Hans devices, along with softer energy-absorbing walls installed at all tracks, and carbon fiber seats were mandated, providing more driver protection. Those changes have made a significant difference. In the 11 years prior to Earnhardt's death, there had been nine other driver deaths in NASCAR events. Since this day in 2001, no NASCAR driver has been killed as a result of a crash, during a race. Moving on to a few other things that happened on this day in sports history. In 1944, the Cincinnati Reds signed 15-year-old Joe Nuxall to a contract. He would make his major league debut later on that year to become the youngest player ever in the major leagues. The signing of Nuxall was due in part to World War II taking a number of players away from the big leagues to fight in the war. Interesting fact, the Reds scouts who found Joe were actually initially interested in his 36-year-old father, but his dad's job at a diesel locomotive factory was more stable than taking a chance on pitching in the majors, and so he passed, allowing Joe to get his shot. Nuxall's debut later that year as a 15-year-old still makes him the youngest player to play in the major leagues. And I'll end today with a little did you know. As you watch today's edition of the Daytona 500, lean over to a buddy of yours and say, hey, did you know that NASCAR tires are filled with nitrogen gas and not regular air? Yep. In fact, it's the same with Formula One and Indy cars too. The nitrogen gas is more stable at warmer temperatures. That's all for today. I'll have more tomorrow on This Day in Sports History. This has been an original Thrive Suite production.